This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Twenty to sixty percent of dogs are not considered adoptable due to behavior issues. And thousands are killed each year in shelters and rescues because they're not considered safe for adoption. How many stories have we heard about dogs living for months, years in kennels, and cats living in overcrowded cat rooms? Welcome to Bark and Swagger on Pet Life Radio. I'm Jody L. Teich, your host. My guest today helps to make some of those dogs adoptable, gives them a second chance at life. His name is Tommy Harley, and he's a trainer who specializes in dogs with behavior issues. He focuses his energies on his nonprofit called From Kennels to Homes. And we're gonna hear all about it and all the stories of these dogs when we continue. We're gonna take a short break from our sponsor and be right back with Tommy. So grab that favorite beverage, get comfortable, and we'll be right back. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Bark and Swagger on Pet Life Radio. I'm Jody Teich, your host. Tommy Harley is an angel for shelter dogs. That's how I can best describe it, especially those with behavior issues. Over the past 17 years, he's been working with these dogs, training them with love, patience, and kindness. He's helped thousands have a second chance at life. Some of them have horrendous pasts, as we all know. So I want to welcome Tommy to the show, and let's find out more about what he's doing and these dogs that he's helping. Hey, Tommy. Hey, Jody. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. I can't wait to hear all about what you're doing and share it with my audience. You are truly an angel for these dogs. So tell us about how you got started in working with behavior challenge dogs. Okay. So when I moved to Florida, I started volunteering at a large rescue walking dogs and so forth. And it was just kind of an interesting thing because I happened to notice this one building and I'd ask them, you know, who are those dogs? And they basically said, those are aggressive dogs that we can never adopt. And it just kind of broke my heart to think you just have to live your life in a kennel. So I started taking an interest in them and I just started taking them out, you know, forming a bond with them. They became my purpose. I thought, you know, before we can come to that conclusion, let's, you know, give them a good assessment. Let's understand them. Let's give them a chance. So I started just focusing on those dogs and 
spent a lot of time building bonds and then ended up, you know, okay, so they bit a human or they bit a dog and, and everything to me with a bite is circumstantial. And so it's at that moment, that time, that human, that environment, and always motivated by fear. So that's kind of how I got into it. I just, I took an interest in these dogs. I find, found that, uh, you know, they responded to me and I just kind of found my purpose right there. Really organic. That's so beautiful. You have seen so much over these past 17 years. Educate us a little bit on what you have seen in shelters and how prevalent the things are, like the key reasons for rehoming pets or why pets don't get adopted. You've done studies, you've broken them down in percentages. Talk to us a little bit about that. So I think what it really comes down to is we don't understand or listen to dogs' communication. And that can be a death sentence for them. I'm a firm believer that aggression is a human trait. It's not a dog trait. And the reason I say that, humans, we like violence. We like, you know, violent sports, car crashes, you know, <laughs> bar fights. Dogs, if we watch them, will avoid conflict at any cost. However, they are so quickly labeled. If, for instance, in a shelter, if a dog growls because you're going near their food, they can be labeled aggressive. If they're on a walk and they get scared and they lunge at somebody, they get labeled aggressive. And these are fear-based reactions that they have but we so easily label them. And once they're labeled, it's very difficult to remove that label. Right, right. And you know, it could be a case because you say it's all fear-based, and I absolutely believe that true, of them doing in the way that they know how, saying, don't come near me, don't come near me, you know, or stay away, or don't come near my food. You know, it's just like more coming from this place of, anxiety rather than wanting to hurt them. You know what I mean? You're 100% correct. There is dogs, contrary to what we might believe, they get no joy from any type of conflict, whether it's reactivity, whether it's a bite. It's very traumatic for them. Yes, but, yes. But bites occur because we're not listening. The beauty of dogs, they give us warnings unlike humans. Um, a, a growl is a good thing. A growl is basically saying I'm uncomfortable, you know, so I try to educate people to understand, give them space. They don't have arms to push us away. So we need to listen to them, you know, their vocalization as well as their body language. Are you a firm believer in always let the dog lead? Meaning if they want you, if they want to engage with you or you to engage with them, they will let you know. Otherwise, you just be a neutral presence. 100%. 100%. You know, I tell people with dogs, we have to allow them to come to us. Because if they actually come to us, we now have a bond. If yeah. we force ourselves on them, we break that bond. And yes, I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, yeah. What puts these dogs behind the eight ball, so to speak, in shelters and rescues with the way the current system is set up? So here's an interesting thing with dogs. If you go to an island or you go to where dogs are running free, there's rarely any conflict. They run around. Somehow we bring them into the human world 
in conflict is what we make a part of them. A lot of these dogs, I mean, bites. That's a big thing. My dog bit me. My dog bit my child. I can say for me personally, I've never seen a dog bite out of the blue, mm. nor have I ever had a case that a dog bites out of the blue once I start investigating and getting the facts. But for instance, if you have a small child crawling on the dog when they're sleeping and they wake up and nip the child, most of the time that dog's going to end up in a shelter. Yeah. That's the heartbreaking thing. They end up in the shelter for for a lot of those reasons. And as far as shelters, the two top type things that dogs are killed for are behavior issues and medical. Yeah, I believe it. It's heartbreaking. And I'll say personally, 99% of every labeled aggressive dog or at-risk dog or needs to be euthanized dog did not need to be. Once I worked with them and showed people, look, they're a fine dog. That's a sad thing. Yeah. I have a, a personal experience with this. One of our dogs, Jasper, not a large dog, you know, 18, 19 pounds, reactive towards other dogs and strangers. And we always had to be concerned, you know, in any new situation and walking down the street. And we worked with him. And, you know, I had two different great trainers when I lived in New York City. That was also an issue because New York is so intense. But long story short, because Jasper was nine and we adopted him from animal control in, in Harlem in New York City when he was a puppy. But when he was nine and my husband and I split up just within the last year, he went to live with my husband in the English countryside. <laughs> and he, oh no, he's living the life, the life, never on a leash. And literally within one month, he was no longer reactive. Dogs, large and small people he didn't know. You know, it's not like a bustling city. So it's not like he sees a ton of people. And there are people there and with large dogs, hunting dogs, and he meets them on walks through the woods or in the fields. And he's fine. He's fine. And he's happy. It's a beautiful story. I miss him, but I know that he's living his best life. And that's a perfect example of how when the environment is changed because it also could be living in a house with dogs that don't get along or dogs that are anxious and you have a dog who is feeding off of that energy or in a house where the people are having issues, trouble, and there's lots of anxiety and anger in that house and the dogs are so intuitive. So yeah, the environment is critical. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and reactivity is such a common thing. And and so what I try to tell people, everything as a behavior specialist, I, I always look at a dog from a behavior standpoint. Mm -hmm. So if a dog is reactive, what it's telling me is it is very uncomfortable. It's very anxious. It's fearful. could be having a panic attack. And that's the reason. So rather than correcting and saying no, we want to go, oh, okay, so we need to build your confidence. Mm. We need you to understand that in these areas, in these circumstances, you're safe. Nothing is going to hurt you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I want to let everyone know who's listening that later in the show, Tommy is going to be giving his expert tip on 
how to work with and manage your reactive dog. There are so many people out there who have reactive dogs like I did. So that's something you should definitely stick around for. I want to talk a little bit about this other company that you started in 2014 called Canine Compassion Healing and Training. Describe the type of dog that would come in the door that you would try and help through that, you know, sort of avenue. My focus and my just what I love the most are dogs with behavior issues. So although I do obedience training, it's those dogs that are fearful. You know, it could be, hey, when I have people over, my dogs go crazy. And, you know, that's a lot of it. Abused dogs. My dog was abused. Now, you know, my dog doesn't like men. Neglected dogs, feral dogs. A lot of these dogs, they're just afraid of the world and of humanity. So the first thing I need to do and what I tell everyone, the first step is always form a bond with that dog, no matter how much it takes how much time it takes. I, I don't go in and solve the issue. I tell people, I'm going to come and hope your dog trusts me to help them. So there are all sorts of those kind of issues, even guarding food, they can overcome that. Reactivity, they can overcome. You know, maybe they're not comfortable with another dog in the home. Okay, well, let's help them get comfortable. So I'm a firm believer that no matter what the issue, we can help them make progress. Wonderful. That's beautiful. Um, can you explain a little bit about how you work with a dog with extreme behavior issues? Because it's not the same as teaching Fluffy to sit and stay, is it? <laughs> you know, you have no, special no. protocols that you implement. Yes. So I work with a lot of reactive dogs that maybe they were abused or they're afraid of men or something like that. And it's a process. And the, and the first part of the process is just trying to bond with that dog. I use a lot of my energy and my calmness and, and I kind of talk to them going, I know you're afraid of me, but you don't have to be. I'm going to help you. So trying to get them slowly and, and, and when they get up enough nerve to come and get a treat, that's a big thing for me. And it's not a bribery. It's, well, here's a scary man, but he's got a tree, so maybe he's not that bad. So we start that process. The more comfortable they get with me, where they'll come up and I can pet them under the chin. I realize we're getting a trust bond. And so now I can start working with them because all of these behavior issues in their minds are terrifying. So I need them to trust me enough to go, okay, dude, you got me, you're protecting me, let's do it. That's what I want them to look to me to help them. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the word energy, which to me is a really important idea concept here because I mean, I work with energy and energy medicine in my pet and human health coaching practices. And these animals are so intuitive. So the energy you bring is something they pick up right away. So because you're able to bond with dogs that are so afraid, you must have a calm energy, an energy where they think, okay, I might be scared, but it's okay to come and get that treat, I think. And then they, you know, they see that it is okay. So energy is, is so much. Do you feel that when you are working with these dogs? And are you conscious of the energy, almost like the frequency that you put yeah. out there? That's a really good question. I think 
I don't really even think about it anymore, but I know that calmness is the best thing. And they feel that, okay, this guy is calm. He's not going to hurt me. And what I tell people, if, you know, even when they're growling at me or air snapping, I stay perfectly calm. And I'll tell you, the number one thing I do know about dogs that they've taught me, they don't want to hurt me. And so when I work with these dogs, it's not that, you know, I'm Superman or I walk on water or I have so much courage. It's just, I know the bottom line, they don't want to hurt me. So if I do this correctly and calmly and at their pace, then we can make some progress. But yeah, staying calm. And I've told people a dog could be fine, but if you start getting nervous, it puts them on alert. They're thinking, human, why are you getting nervous? Right. When we come back and you're talking about your tips for pet parents with aggressive or reactive dogs, working at their pace and signals, knowing when they've had enough, or just from your experience, what the length of time of working with them in one sitting is, basically, so that pet parents can know what to look for, I think is going to be great to talk about. So let's hang on to that for a second, because I want to know something. Have you ever been attacked? <laughs> and what happened? No, because it could a, be just part of the job, you know? It's a very good question. Unfortunately, to this day, I have not. Oh, thank goodness. Well, it's a matter of I'm always listening to them. Yeah. So I don't try to play the hero and rush in there and make them like me. It's calm and easy, calm and easy. So it's kind of interesting because I have been bit twice and they've been two dogs under 10 pounds. Very interesting. <laughs> Were either of them chihuahuas? <laughs> no, surprisingly. But surprisingly. One, but they were both my fault. There was one, I was at a rescue and, and I knew he didn't like to be picked up. And he put his paws on my knees and I'm thinking, oh, buddy, you want me to pick you up? No, he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> it's so interesting that they were little because this is the other thing. When a dog is big, people may be more wary. When a dog is little and it's a stranger coming up to a little dog and they're like, they just go into their space. Oh, yeah. you know, and all over the head. Yeah. And, you know, they are still the same being, sentient being as a big dog. Exactly. So, and feel the same things that we feel. So the same protocol should be employed, right? Absolutely. Lead. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, the breeds of dogs that bite the most, the top two or three are smaller breeds. Yes. And people don't realize that. Yes. I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. And also because, well, certainly history, but also because the littler you are, the bigger everything else is around of you. Course. And the harder yeah. it is to navigate the world, maybe the more scary. Each dog is different and each dog needs to be approached differently. And, and I tell people, yes, there's guidelines. But just like with humans, we have to deal with them and work with them as individual beings. Yes. I love that you say that because one of the things that I'm taught in my human health coach training is bioindividuality and it applies just as much to our animals. Every animal is different. Like every child is different and every, every person, adult is different. So I'm really glad that you've said that. We are going to take a short break now from our sponsor. But when we come back, Tommy is going to give you these tips so that you have some tools in your toolkit 
to work with your aggressive or reactive dog, maybe in a new way. And we're also going to hear some favorite stories that Tommy has about dogs that he's worked with and helped over the years. So I can't wait to hear that. So refresh that favorite beverage, get cozy, and we'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. If you've just joined, you're listening to Bark and Swagger on Pet Life Radio. And this is Jody Teich, your host. We're here today with Tommy Harley, founder of the nonprofit from Kennel to homes where he does behavioral training with high-risk aggressive dogs to give them a second chance at life, which is a beautiful thing. Tommy, the thousands of dogs you've helped over the years, thousands, which is incredible and blows my (laughs) mind. You must have some favorite stories. So what are your top three? You know, when you mentioned that I had to come up with three, I was like narrowing it down from 200. Of course. Every dog is so special in the fact that they were labeled hopeless. Nobody thought they could get better and they got better. So there are a few that that are very dear to my heart. And so there's one dog, Zane, and he is a shepherd mix. And he was at Miami-Dade Animal Services with two of his siblings and they were all feral. So for three months, the staff was unable to get them out of their kennel. They were so shut down. They would shake. They would avoid eye contact. It was just heartbreaking. So they had called me and I went down there and I was able to get them out. And it's it's a heartbreaking thing because I kind of need to drag them, but compassionately going just two more steps. And I always tell these dogs, listen, this is going to be traumatic, but I promise you, your quality of life is going to go way up. So we ended up getting the three out. And it just so happens that Zane was one of them who went to a rescue that I volunteer with. So I was able to see him every day and just his transformation from I'm the only one that he will be around. I'm the only one that can pet him to just expanding that to more and more humans. You know, this is a dog just afraid of the world and afraid of people. But then, you know, he bonded with me and then we would meet somebody else. And I would say, Zane, this person's safe. Go ahead. They can pet you. And, you know, just he loves dogs. He has still a little stranger danger. But, oh, my gosh, with the people he likes, he is just he's a huge lap dog. He's like a 60 pound lap dog. That so, is beautiful. Yeah. So so Zane's always, always going to be one of my favorites. Another one is Zena. And she came in. She was surrendered. 
and came in with a golden retriever and she was a bully and just a beautiful silver bully. But in their home, they had been isolated their whole lives, just kept in a back bedroom. Wow. So they came in and they were just afraid of everybody, reactive to everybody and everything. You know, you'd go near her kennel and she would just give the biggest growl and so forth. And so I actually have a video on on my YouTube channel of her, but I went into the trailer and I, I just had to loop her. And so I looped her with a long leash and got her out of the trailer and you can just see her gator rolling and just full-blown panic attack. But I was telling her, listen, we, we need to keep moving. We need to keep walking. And so the, the interesting thing that I want to point out, Jody, at any moment that dog could have attacked me. There was only six feet of leash between us. That's it. That's it. She didn't want to. And then that was one of my just a beautiful story to show. So basically finally got her out, got her in the play yard and, you know, formed that bond with her. I just sat there and then she came up, wanted to be petted and slowly introduced her to more people and more dogs. And she just did amazing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Did, were these dogs able to find homes? So Zena, Zena was able to find a home. Um, Zane is still up. Zane's still up for adoption and hopefully he will. And then the third dog um, is Hamilton, and he was rescued from a Korean meat farm, believe it or not. Oh, no. And the conditions, uh, the conditions. Oh, it's he horrible. Was, it was horrible. Yes. It was. So I, I was asked by a rescue, can, can you take him and work with him? And this is, you know, just a dog with no experience. And, you know, he would growl at me and. I just gave him space and let him kind of do his thing. And then after a while, I would sit on the floor and, you know, was able to get a collar on him and then a leash. And we would do walks and he would just drop to the ground, be terrified and just a dog afraid of everything and everybody. Slowly, we just I go on adventures with them. We'll go to a new park and go slow. And he um, ended up, you know meeting new people, meeting new dogs. And the funny story about this is he went back to the rescue for a short time and they sent me a picture that he had gone out the second story window and was just standing on the roof looking around. <laughs> I thought, oh my God. I thought, I'm so sorry. I gave him too much confidence. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just the cutest thing. And he ended up being adopted um, by a guy that lives by me. So I actually drove up to Georgia, picked him up, and took him to his new home. And oh, he had just a beautiful, amazing dog. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I'm so happy that he was adopted and near you. So you can yes. see him when you want. Yeah, it's it's so nice because there's been dogs I haven't seen for you know three or four years and they remember me. And it's just the coolest yeah, thing. They do. They don't forget. They don't forget no. your scent. No. And your energy. Yes. It's yes. so amazing. Okay. Now, the company that you created from Kennel to Homes is a mm -hmm. nonprofit. It's a nonprofit. You do incredible work, but you rely on funding to continue the amazing work that you do. So, where can people donate to either maybe a dog that you have on the site that you're working with, if they like connect with a video of a dog you're working with? Maybe they can say, oh, I want this for so-and-so or to the organization as a whole to just continue doing the beautiful work that you're doing. Where can they find you to do that? 
Sure, thank you. They can go to from kennels to homes dot org, and on there are are easy ways to donate. And just so everyone knows, the funding goes to cover our costs to go to different shelters. And basically, the goal is we want to work with the at risk dogs that are set up to be euthanized, and we want to give them a chance. And I'll just share one story. So this year, three times I went down to Miami-Dade Animal Services and worked and assessed and got great videos of dogs that had been labeled, dogs that were going to be euthanized because they were aggressive, etc. And we were able to do videos of this actually isn't true. They're not actually like this. And of those three trips, 26 dogs are not only off death row, but they're out of the shelter. Wow. Such a cool thing. Such a cool thing. Yes. 26 of them. Wow. That's fantastic. Well, that leads perfectly into helping pet parents with tools on how they can work with and manage their aggressive or reactive dogs. So would you please give your expert top tips for pet parents on this? Definitely. Um, Reactivity... And, and what we look at as aggression is, is really, really prevalent out there. And especially on a leash. So I've had people say, my dog goes to dog parks, doggy daycare, but on a leash, he's reactive. The most important thing as pet parents, we need to understand reactivity is an emotion. It's not a behavior. So to clarify that, they're emotional about this. It's a panic attack, an anxiety attack, fear is a huge motivation. There is nothing in them that wants to hurt anything. So reactivity is an emotion. And if we look at it that way, we have a little more empathy and understanding for the dog than this is bad behavior because it's not. So to give you an example, if you're walking your dog on a leash and they see another dog, it's fight or flight. Well, they can't flight. So what they do is they make themselves big and bad as possible to make that threat go away. That's all that is. That is not aggression. That is, look how big and bad I am, go away. So it can be helped, but we we need to to change the mentality of this is an aggressive dog to this is a fearful dog. So my method, and I, I have a couple of videos out there, is what I call it is keep reassuring, keep walking. So we're passing a dog. I just keep walking. I'm nice and calm. I'm reassuring the dog that he's fine. Our voices are so critical to them. So eventually we're going to pass 30 dogs and I'm going to look at them and go, spot, we just passed 30 dogs. Nobody hurt you. It's desensitizing of you're perfectly fine. What about if as you're approaching the first dog or the second dog or the third dog and they start going from orange to the red zone where they don't hear you anymore? Right. So what we want to do, so you want to have a very secure harness is the main thing. But what the most important thing to do is anticipate. So as soon as I see a dog, I'm already talking to the dog I'm with. I'm already saying, I see it, I see it. And we want to keep moving. That's the key. I'm on a walk. You're on a walk with me. You're going with me. And I've dragged 110-pound dogs. And you will find once they pass the threat, they're a lot calmer. Now, the old school thought was, well, you put them in a sit. And you make them stay and you make them face it. I disagree with that because 
if I took my three-year-old daughter and I was walking her and she saw a spider and started having an anxiety attack, I wouldn't say, well, Susie, suck it up, deal with it. Right. You know, right. so that's the worst thing. It's a panic attack. So we want to walk them through it and let them know that they don't need to worry about this. You're safe. Okay. And what do you think about something like a gentle leader as opposed to a harness for having more control, like steering from the cockpit? You know, the one that goes is the loose canvas yes. strap around the nose. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I would say it depends on the level of reactivity. Okay, because the harness manages the body a little better. If you can hook it in the chest and on the back, all the powers in a chest. If you can use a gentle leader and keep them moving and keep them going, perfectly fine. Got it. The reactivity I deal with are pretty severe. So therefore, I need to really have the whole body walking with me. And the other thing parents need to know is if you have a harness, a leash and distance, Nothing bad is going to happen, but you need to stay calm. So I've had owners walk their dogs, they go crazy. And then I walk the same dog in the same situation and they're calmer because my end of the leash is calm. My heart rate doesn't go up. My pulse rate doesn't go up. I'm talking to them. You're fine. Let's go. So they can overcome this for sure. It is not aggression. I promise you. Very interesting. What about people who have large dogs and let's say, you know, it's a woman and she's, you know, a smaller woman. So she doesn't necessarily have the strength if they decide to go all out in reacting to something. How do you manage something like that? That's a great question. And you used an an important word, which is manage. A lot of with our dogs, We want to use management tools. We can't cure everything. But for something in that situation, it's okay to turn around and walk the other way. The key is we want to do it nonchalantly like, oh, spot, I was going to turn around anyways. (laughs) You know, we want want them to know I was going to turn around anyways, which is perfectly fine. But I prefer that we help our dogs overcome it rather than avoid it. So, you know, that's fine, though. It's all about management. So if if it's a powerful dog and you need to do a turn, you just do a turn and you just say, let's go. And the most important thing, Jody, is we don't pause or anything. We just keep a fluid motion because a pause alerts them. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, you'll pause and they'll go, why are you pausing? So is there something that almost like a, a little mantra that you can share with pet parents that they can say to themselves, As they're getting ready to go out with this dog and as they're starting the walk with this dog, that sort of sums up the headspace that they need to be in to manage their dog well. Yes, it it has to be our energy. We have to be calm. We have to be calm. Our goal, I'll tell you, a sniffing dog is a confident dog. A sniffing dog is a confident dog. A dog that's hyper alert is constantly looking around. And it should be Disney World on a walk. They shouldn't be looking around. They should be annoyingly sniffing when we're late for work. You know? Right, right, <laughs> um, right. So, so if they're hyper alert, you want to drop treats right when you come out the door. Oh, the nose is in the ground. But the most important thing as pet parents to think of is, I want my dog to enjoy this walk. Therefore, I'll enjoy the walk. So how do I help my dog enjoy the walk? Let's be nice and calm and relaxed. 
if we see a threat and me as a human being, I'm not comfortable, let's just do a quick turnaround. But let's focus on what a walk is for. A dog should be sniffing everything. It's so good for them. Yes, um, it's part of the happiness protocol. Yes, yes. And and the most important thing for everyone to understand is you do not have a bad dog, even if you get dirty looks. You have a scared dog. You yeah, have it's a, a different dog. way to look at them, which completely shifts it. I think that's really important. You know, a trainer that I used to work with for Jasper years ago used to call keeping your energy in that place. He used to say, keep it fluffy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> keep yes. it fluffy. <laughs> yes. The other thing I'll tell you, Jody, is always look in control. There's nothing that panics someone else more as if your dog's out of control and you look out of control. So Yeah, and like, then you've got a lot of bad energy. Yes. You just look at your neighbor and go, I got him. I got him. He's fine. He's fine. He's afraid. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful. Tommy, thank you so much. This has oh, been amazing. Welcome. Tell people where they can contribute again, find you, social media as well. So people are very clear about where they can get in touch, learn more, get help if need be, et cetera. Sure. From kennels to homes.org. That's the website. I also have a lot of really good educational blogs that I put up there. And my goal is to educate people about dogs and behavior so we can help them more. There's also the social media links there. You can donate there. And and I'll tell you that every single penny allows us to continue going to different shelters around the U.S. and, and helping these death row dogs get out of the shelters. I love it. Thank you so much for what you do, Tommy. You have helped so many and even helping one life is precious. So this is exponentially amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. Jody. thank you as well. It's my pleasure. And thank you all for listening. Thanks to our producer, Mark Winter, who makes us sound so good. We love you for it, Mark. My passion is living stylishly, animal rescue, and health. So tune in next time to discover the designers, home decor, and rescue stories I love and the heroes behind me. So when fierce fashion calls, bark and swagger. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.